Listener Production. G'day, I'm Scott Phillips, the Chief Investment Officer at The Motley Fool and your host of The Good Oil. Now, if you're not familiar with the phrase, giving someone the good oil is giving them the good stuff, the important stuff and the real stuff, which is the very aim of our podcast. We're bringing you conversations with entrepreneurs, executives and experts, the people who know what's going on and the people who make things happen. Speaking of which, today's guest is someone who really knows what's going on and has spent most of his working life thinking, writing and talking about it. Craig James is Chief Economist of Comsec. Craig, welcome to The Good Oil. Scott, thank you very much. It's great to be here. Mate, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Now, before we start, I, as much as being Chief Economist of Comsec sounds like the crowning achievement of most people's careers, I hear you're a Masters athlete instead. Is there any chance we can get a Chief Economist 100-metre race maybe on Budget Day or something, kind of really really jazz up the thing? That would be very, very good. If you can organise it, I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> good man, good man. Now, mate, we're not going to talk... Well, we'll probably finish talking about uh, athletics at this point, but I am I am still very impressed, mate. Well done. You've been kind enough to join us at a time when it feels to me like the economy is potentially at something of an inflection point. Um, so I guess rather than me putting words in your mouth, given where we're at, given where we've been, given what might be coming, and given that just uncertainty and the potential range of outcomes, do you mind just kind of giving us firstly a sense of... Where do you think the economy is at right now? We're recording this on the 22nd of August, 2022, for those listening next year. Um, where, where, where is the economy sitting, Craig? Are we, are we, are we in good shape, bad shape? What's, what's happening out there right now? Yeah, the inflection point isn't you know, sort of bad way to describe it. Um, we're, we've gone through COVID, we've gone through the lockdown phase and come out you know, to the other side, and now we're dealing with the supply chain issues. But um, you know, eventually, yes, there will be a stage when you know, so everyone who's, who should have had COVID you know, has had COVID, and uh, they're back at work, working, and you know, sort of, we will get the the supply res- response, you know, so higher production to the level of demand that we've got out there. So, what we would have thought, you know, so over the next you know, so six to twelve months, that we're seeing a gradual easing of um, supply chain issue pressures or the pressures on on prices and costs. We will start to see you know, some improvement in terms of inflation. The other thing to, I suppose, think about when when we're talking about you know, inflation, particularly in terms of energy prices, we've had a significant run up. But um, just over the last couple of months, if there's been anything, it's been a flattening or a modest decline in you know, sort of things like oil prices. And the longer this goes, we will get to a point where there will be effectively no change in terms of these prices compared with 12 months ago. Uh, if anything, there may be declines, and that way inflation will benefit from that. We'll get some sort of easing in terms of some of these cost price pressures as well. But um, still no shortage of um, issues to contend with over the next 12 months, though. It will be the fact that the job market is still tight, and uh, that leads to potential for uh, higher wages and higher prices. There's still the geopolitical risks which are around the world, the war in Ukraine and the, the constant you know, issues in terms of uh, China-US relations that we've had to deal with at the moment and uh, got a new government that has to be settled in and um, as we speak, yes, we've got the job summit yes, that are happening yes, next week, I believe. If I'm accused of anything, yes, it's the case that, yes, that I see the world as a glass half full rather than half empty. So I suppose my comments need to be taken in that regard. You know, so I always believe that there's a positive out- outcome at the end of the day, given that humans are pretty adept at terms of dealing with situations. 
Mate, uh, you're, you're with a fellow traveller. I'm similarly optimistic, but it doesn't mean there won't be some bumps along the way, obviously. You talk about some of the global macro stuff, and there's heaps out there. You mentioned supply chain, oil, inflation, geopolitics, energy prices, which is obviously the oil, the oil price, um, but also coal and other things. There's a lot going on right now, and I, and I wonder, given the circumstances that we are facing, I'll take your point about inflation starting to peter off. Um, where there, there are those out there who will say that all, for everything you've just talked about, it's actually about monetary policy. It's about money printing. It's actually about too much cash chasing too few assets. Uh, so, that, you know, the central banks are trying to wind back QE. They're putting up rates. How much of this is monetary? How much of this is the financial economy? And how much of this is just the gumming up of the physical economy because of COVID and, and geopolitics and other things? Well, I think what we saw the start-off point was basically COVID. So if you go back a couple of years before COVID, you know, sort of, I would have said, if anybody wants to be seen as an expert on the economy, just answer China to any economic <laughs> questions and you can't go too far wrong. So the answer yep. to all questions were, was China. Now I think the answers to most questions is COVID. And um, we've had, well, central banks basically printing money. We've, we've had... Um, uh, governments, yes, it is putting a significant amount of stimulus in to ensure that people held on to their jobs. And that has been remarkably successful as well. I, I think there's been a lot of gloomsters over the last couple of years that, you know, sort of thought unemployment was going to go to 15%. Well, you know, here we are, you know, sort of below 3.5%. And it's quite remarkable, you know, sitting here in Australia in terms of the job situation. But we do need to get to a point, and we are at that point, of course, now where central banks are having to unwind the amount of stimulus and get back to, to more normal levels. And they have to get to back to normal levels super quick because of the uh, supply chain issues that we're seeing, you know, sort of uh, across the, the globe. We will at some point have to see government's addressing the amount of stimulus in the system as well. But um, I, I think there is a case for them to, to be uh, slowly, slowly in terms of these sorts of things, get central bank policies back up to normal, or get um, cash rates back up to a neutral and more normal stance first. Uh, so start to see the improvement in terms of the broader economy, in terms of inflationary risks and the like. And then we can start to, to deal with the issue of fiscal policy the amount of the governments are putting in the system. When we talk about uh, the, the fiscal policy response, I, I guess right now we've got, a, we've got a challenge, as you say. We're, we're trying to get rates. And this is the thing. Maybe maybe central banks, I'll, I'll put some words in your mouth or at least say something you can respond to it. I, I wonder if central banks let people believe for too long that rates would stay low and that normal wouldn't be where it needed to be. I mean, they've, they've, they've kind of said in the, in the, ironically for people like you and I who read the central bank minutes, they've always been very clear. This is very expansionary. This is emergency levels. And I think the inference was always reasonably clear to us. Maybe it wasn't, but I think it was clear to me. Uh, maybe it's a bit of Monday morning quarterbacking that, you know, normal was going to be much higher when they got back to that point. But I think maybe to, to most people, that sense of it was so low for so long and there wasn't enough commentary in the public domain from the bank or, or governments or anyone else saying, remember, this will go back to something. It was only, I'm going to say, mate, only six or so months ago that, he, that Governor Lowe even started to talk about what normal or neutral might look like. Is it fair to say the, the RBA got this wrong in terms of waiting too long and maybe not communicating well enough with the, pe the real people in the economy, not just people like you and I, but, but you know, real people who said, I can take on debt at this level or rates are always going to be at this level or I can get used to these things. That strikes me as maybe the, 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 the failure, rather than the decision on rates themselves, but they, they know they made a mistake. They probably should have done it more quickly. But I feel like it was maybe the messaging rather than the actual actions. Is that, is that a reasonable summary or do you take a different view? 
Oh, certainly a very reasonable summary. And I think the Reserve Bank uh, Governor has uh, said, Mia Culpa, yes, already, yes, uh, he's made a mistake. He uh, sort of, they expected at the, the Reserve Bank that um, it would be 2024 before we got to a situation uh, where um, interest rates, yes, are needed to, to rise. And um, um, I suppose I'm accused of, you know, sort of glass half full rather than half empty. But um, the Reserve Bank is probably even more so, yes, than that. <laughs> yeah. yes, sort of, they, yeah. they thought interest rates would stay low for a long period of time. But um, what they've been caught out by is um, just how responsive, yes, the economy ha- has been, just how responsive global economies ha- have been. As I said, it's getting up to the vaccine, yes, so the uh, role of the the um, invention of the, the vaccines, uh, the development of vaccines and the, the rollout and um, allowing people to get back to work in a super quick time. And no one thought that was going to happen. Yes, you know, so everyone thought it was going to take a long time for these two things to occur. I think it's the, the fact, too, that we did have a pandemic 100 years ago, but they we, we can blame them 100 years ago. They didn't leave us with a playbook. They didn't tell us exactly what, what the, we should be doing. And I think, you know, so that's some of the issue, you know, sort of, um, you know, the supply chain difficulties um, and issues, uh, I think, you know, sort of caught the Reserve Bank uh, more off guard than, you know, some of the central banks around the world. I suppose it's because Australia is and was in a better position than a lot of other countries around the world in terms of inflation. You know, we're talking about, you know, so 9 10%, you know, some places like the US and UK talking about fives and sixes in terms of um, the inflation rate. So, and we, we've got wages growing at a 2.6% annual pace, if you can believe it. Yeah, the, the Reserve Bank will um, lift interest rates in coming months. We believe by the end of this year, 2.6% will be the, the rate for the uh, the cash rate. And we think that will be enough. We think that um, uh, the fable area of around about 2.5% will be effective in terms of slowing down the economy, getting pressure, price pressures under control. And um, by this time next year, we could start to be thinking about cutting rates rather than you know, sort of increasing rates. So that may be something that will come and haunt me you know, sort of, uh, <laughs> in, in 12 months' time, saying, well, you said rates would be coming down <laughs> this time. Well, we'll have to see how the, the factors evolve. So 2.6%, I'll, I'll grab you on that one. That's, that suggests another three quarters of a percent uh, rate rise in the official cash rate between now and the end of the year. Um, that'll be that'll be good news for a whole lot of people who are worried that you know there were some forecasts out there of a three point three five from one of the major banks um, that I won't name unless uh, you you want to. Uh, but yours is meaningfully lower. Is that a recognition of the fact that the economy can't take much more or won't need much more? What what would stop the RBA at two point six, another three quarters of a percent, just for the listeners, um, as opposed to going over over three? They don't need to. They don't want to. Neutral's not that high. What would be the thinking? Well, what the Reserve Bank has constantly said is we're watching household, we're watching the Aussie consumers or Aussie families and the way that they respond to it. And they know that there's a lot of, on the one hand and on the other hand, you know, so when we talk about you know, the average Australian household, uh, we've got, you know, so the job market was in good shape. So a lot of people, you know, so got, got jobs, you know, so wages are rising or well, there's the expectation of wages are rising. That should support consumption. On the other side of the equation, uh, I suppose the other um, positive is the, the fact that wealth levels have been, you know, sort of at or near record highs as well. And... Um, Aussie consumers have squirreled away a lot of savings, so that keeps them in, you know, in, in good stead. On the other side of the equation is we've taken on a lot of debt through the, um, uh, the COVID times 
borrowing you know, sort of to, to buy and build you know, sort of homes and uh, and um, the amount of debt which has been accumulated is going to be certainly a constraining factor on our household balance sheets. The other thing that we look at, you know, sort of the Commonwealth Bank Group is the the number of people who are um, going to be coming off fixed rate loans and you're sort of having to choose between fixed and, and variable and that will come to a real crescendo uh, next year where more and more of these uh, people you know, sort of have to make that sort of decision and some of the changes in interest rates could be you know, quite significant. You know, they could be playing you know, sort of two and a half, three percentage points you know, sort of catch up to, to be able to get back to um, get their loans either locked in or at a fixed or variable rate. So that's going to have you know, sort of implications. We think that those factors are probably going to be enough. The amount of debt, the changeover from um, fixed rates back to a fixed or variable, you know, the rolling off of the, those loans is going to be enough to, to slow the economy down. Mate, I've 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 deliberately tried to half scare people about that roll off from from fixed to variable, and I kind of I said the RBA is worried about a GFC mark too, and I, I don't actually mean that. I don't think they anyone thinks it's going to happen. But if we think back to two thousand and eight, it was the 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 adjustable reset mortgages or the arms that sort of started the subprime crisis that started the GFC ball rolling. Now we know that a lot of people were not qualified appropriately on ninja loans, no no what income, no job, no assets. Um, so it's not it's not the same at all. But I actually share your concern. How how worried are you about the ability of those households to absorb those higher rates? At some point, I want I don't know that people are actually adequately really thinking. If you're on a two percent, one point nine nine, one point eight nine percent fixed rate right now, I wonder how many people are either already paying more or prepared to pay more. And I, I do worry that that might be might cause them and potentially the economy. I don't think it's likely, but I think it's possible. Cause them some degree of discomfort, pain, and maybe even some forced selling. If anything's going to upset the apple cart, that to me feels like the biggest, I won't call it a um, uh, an X factor because we know it's coming, but that, that feels to me, short of an unemployment spike, the, the biggest risk. Well, household balance sheets are in good shape. We we have been squirrelling away you know, some money over time and uh, through the, the COVID you know, period, so that's been super important. We, we have got people, you know, some jobs and wages, you know, increasing, so that's, you know, sort of positive as well. We're starting from a lower level of unemployment and um, there's still labour shortages, you know, sort of rather than anything else, you know, so the number of job vacancies exceeds those of uh, the unemployed people. So, you know, so the outlook looks, you know, sort of pretty good. Balance sheets are in good shape and one of the reasons is for, for that, banks over you know, so the last couple of years have been you know, sort of uh, doing estimates about whether people can repay their loans, putting two or three percentage points you know, sort of on the mortgage and seeing whether they're able to get, get through that. You know, so I think that's been important as well. So rates may be going up around about you know, so two and a half you know, sort of percentage points, but the expectation has been for, from banks, that's what they're built in, the fat in the system. You know, so assuming that people can make repayments, which are so something like three percentage points higher. So there's going to be a degree of indigestion problem. There's going to be some uh, tightening of belts around, around the place, but overall um, we're not you know, sort of a super negative in terms of um, the, the Australian household and where it's going. Maybe you could talk to me about 
the jobs market. You mentioned jobs a couple of times there, and this gets into policy, as you mentioned. There's a job summit coming up. If you're listening to this when it goes to air, it'll be in advance, or you may be listening to it just afterwards. There is a a real challenge. Unemployment at 3.4% is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful problem to have, but it is becoming a problem at some point where we don't have the right matchup between skills and vacancies. Um, even just raw people unemployed, I, I don't remember seeing as many job ads in shop windows, mate, quite honestly. I know it's a single data point, and the plural of anecdote isn't data, as they say, uh, but you know, plenty of those around it. it hospitality venues in particular, I can't, I'm, I'm some kind of five or six over the weekend alone uh, as I was wandering around and kind of mentally taking note. So on one hand, we've got an unemployment rate which is fantastically low and wonderful for those people who wouldn't otherwise have jobs. So there's no question it's a positive. But it does create some of those concerns around just straight out the capacity of the economy. We hit those capacity constraints. There, is, there are questions about um, you know, who's in what jobs, do we have the right skills, where the economy is sitting. And then the immigration problem or the population problem, maybe to take uh, the politics out of a little bit, uh, becomes one of, you know, do we bring in more workers? If we do, where do they live? What does it do to house prices? There are so many moving parts here. I wonder your thoughts on the, on the jobs market at the moment. Well, we have relied in the past a lot on, on migration and bringing people in from outside because we haven't had the, the skills base to be able to do the sorts of jobs that we need to have done here in Australia. So we have had to rely on migration and understandably, you know, so the, the, the migrant you know, so job inflow, you know, so bringing you know, so those workers from abroad, some of those workers are a little bit um, wary at the moment, you know, so wary about COVID, wary about, about the outlook and they're not rushing to uh, come over to, to Australia to be able to work. So I think we're seeing that right the way across the globe, that there's a degree of reticence, if you like, about working in other parts of the globe. And that reticence will ease. It's uh, basically time cures all ills. And the longer that we go where things are improving, we're not seeing you know, sort of new variants of uh, COVID. You know, get life gets getting back to what we would try and call normal. Uh, I don't think you can call it you know, so normal now, but the new normal. Um, I think, too, it, it'll be up to, to governments and um, in terms of their policy you know, sort of on migration. Uh, I spoke to a customer you know, sort of recently and uh, he had been you know, sort of having problems in terms of getting workers out. But apparently there's an approved employer scheme that the, the government's working on at the moment. Provided the government comes in, has a look at your operations, you know, makes, gives you the tick and says, yes, you are in need you know, sort of workers, so you can't get them you know, sort of here locally, you know, so you can bring them in for, from abroad. And he is indeed bringing workers in, in from abroad. That's alleviating the situation. So if we get this approved employer uh, situation being rolled out you know, some more and more, that's going to um, alleviate some of the issues. But uh, there will be some sort of more structural issues that we'll have to contend with as well. And that's basically the ageing of the baby boomers. We know anyone born between 1946 and 1962 is a baby boomer. And uh, the last uh, five or ten years we've seen, yes, progressively more and more of those leaving the job market. And indeed, over the last 12 months, we've had a number of people, you know, sort of say, look, enough is enough. We've got this COVID situation. I'm going to retire, you know, sort of earlier. So we have these issues where the baby boomers are moving out of the system, but that's not going to be replaced by, you know, so the other generations, Generation X and Y and Z and the like. And as a result, we're going to see unemployment rates more like we saw in the 1970s rather than what we saw in the 80s and 90s. Um, and in the 1970s, 2 or 3% was uh, a no more normal level of um, for unemployment. If you go yes, into uh, later decades, we were seeing yes, that up around about 6 7 8% was yes, the more normal. So um, 
there's some structural issues to, to be dealt with and that's why we will need to um, continue to tap into the, the um, offshore uh, migrant inflow to be able to deal with the situation. That, that's fascinating, mate. I, I, I didn't. I, we've talked a lot about the, the boomers leaving the, the job market and, and the changes in the economy. One of them, of course, as you as you suggest, is, is potentially great news, uh, which is that that permanent reduction, or maybe not permanent, but uh, long term reduction in unemployment as we try and absorb uh, the jobs that they're leaving with a smaller working workforce. Maybe can you take me then to the next implication? Because as the boomers get old, some will retire on large amounts of money and be completely fine. Others will be a uh, drain sounds terrible, but you know others. Others will will need additional budget spending, whether that be healthcare, whether that be pensions, whether that be uh, services in general. What does the shape of the economy start to look like in in that? Uh, how far is it away? Is it five, ten years away? And then maybe what does it what does it then look like? How, how do we need to adapt outside just purely jobs for that sort of economy? Yeah, well, this is the area where the governments you know, need to be planning for the future and they need to be thinking about you know, the fact that uh, the ageing of the population, which we've talked about, you know, so it's here now and, yes, you know, so we've got to deal with those issues over the next decade or so. Uh, there will be you know, so greater health costs. We won't have as many workers in the system to be able to provide you know, so the income and provide the taxation income that the government you know, so needs to be able to provide the services. So how does our taxation system look like you know, so in the future? Perhaps we need to change you know, so the approach where there's less reliance in terms of um, uh, income taxation and more in terms of consumption you know, so tax. And yes, you know, so it may be that something like uh, 25 cents you know, in the dollar or 30 cents, somewhere in that sort of margin. Flat rate is, is required and you need a consumption tax of either 15 or 20%. So we're going to think of those sorts of options. People are going to continue to spend. We'll be able to get the income in that way. But if people aren't working, we're not going to get the income you know, to the same extent as we saw in the past. And, of course, yes, we're having to deal with other issues in terms of um, health costs, and the, and the cost to, to the social security and, and welfare system, you know, sort of run by, by the government. So it is a time for, for not just planning in terms of um, uh, the job market, but it's in the case of um, planning for, for the, uh, the changes in the, in the broader, you know, sort of economy, taking into account the taxation system and the social welfare system as well. Can I, can I say in the macro, mate, at the moment, you talked a lot about social welfare and, and taxation. I think they're really important areas. Uh, let, let me make you treasurer and industry minister and prime minister for the day. We had a, a recent prime minister with more than one uh, portfolio, so I, I feel comfortable making you at least the minister for three different uh, three different portfolios. Um, maybe you can, putting your, putting your long-term hat on your optimist, which I love, I'm an optimist as well. Optimists tend to be good at thinking long-term. It tends to be one of those things we expect things to get better. If you think out, 10, 15, 20 years. What are some of the bigger policy challenges maybe you haven't already talked about that you think governments need to be facing? I know you're an economist by, by trade and that tends to give you a, a very broad range of, of interests and, and, uh, and uh, data and information and, and you can see the economy as a whole and, the, and society as a whole. What would you be asking the current new government to be focusing on to plan for that sort of 10, 15, 20 year time horizon? Well, you do need to look at the um, the income taxation versus consumption taxes. You need to look at yes, you know, so that you need to look at payroll tax. We've got a tax on employing people. You know, that so struck me as strange, Greg. What is going on there? 
This is unfortunately, yes, you know, sort of, um, it's a taxation, yes, you know, sort of, which is relied upon by state and territory, yes, you know, sort of governments. Yeah, and yeah. Um, uh, we will need to be able to look at that. We'll need to look at, yes, you know, sort of the taxation of the, the family home and investment properties in the housing mm-hmm. sector. Mm-hmm. We will need to, yes, you know, sort of look at that, yes, you know, sort over of time and see what is, um, Appropriate, you know, so for, for taxation, you know, sort of the fees that applied, you know, sort of in coming years as well. Um, getting on to a different tax, we, we need to deal with, you know, so climate change and uh, the, the changes in um, movement from um, uh, oil um, uh, and also coal to, to um, the, the cleaner fuels, you know, so to, to wind, to, to solar, to perhaps even u- nuclear. When you think about, you know, sort of governments in there, you know, sort of, it's not a case that you get into to, uh, government, you know, so new government comes in and says, well, you know, sort of, we can put our, our feet, you know, sort of, now is the time <laughs> to be, you know, sort of hitting the ground running yeah. and really doing, you know, sort of lots of work and, you know, sort of lots of things. Mm-hmm. The climate change one's interesting, mate, and I'm curious as to your thoughts as an economist. It tends to be the study, amongst other things, of incentives and and the decisions people make based on the incentives that, that governments put in place, all the penalties, right? That's that's the taxes pen system writ large is you incentivise things you want, you tax things you don't want, at least in theory. Um, I've, I've often thought a, a, a one way to deal with climate change would be to, to introduce a carbon tax and then offset it with a carbon dividend. I think it's a, a, a strategy that's been announced in somewhere like Canada, they've been talking about trying it, where you say to people, look, you're... You, if petrol's going to go up, your electricity's going to go up, and it's going to be a thousand bucks a year. It's going to cost you more. Here's a thousand bucks to cover you, so you know you know worse off. But if you make different decisions which save you some of those costs that otherwise you might be incurring, whether it's electricity or, or petrol or something else, you get to keep the difference. So not only do people are they not worse off, but you put the price signal back into the system. And economists tend to be interested in price signals. Some love them, some don't. Uh, is, is that is that even viable? Mate, give me give me a give me a thought on my pet on my pet idea. Is that a terrible idea, or has it got some got some legs? Well, I mean, I, I suppose, yes, in terms of the economy, it's always a carrot and a stick. You, you provide the incentives, so you know, sort of either that or you, know, so you put the, um, uh, the disincentives, you know, so they're a higher cost, you know, so higher prices, higher taxes if you don't do that. So there's a combination that needs to be you know, sort of applied for, for a whole range of things. But um, we, we think of um, uh, electric cars, and you know, so we've got the major manufacturers leading the way in terms of this, and this is uh, probably the appropriate point that corporates you know, so lead the way and say, in t- five or ten years' time, we won't be producing um, uh, an oil as a petrol or a diesel car; it'll only be electric. Um, but we do need a government response, you know, so that's all well and fine. But if you don't have the charging points, you know, sort of, then how do you deal with you know, so that? So. Um, uh, there's um, yeah, a number of issues that you know, so have to be dealt with in that respect as well. So if, if you have um, uh, people you know, so incentivised to buy you know, so electric cars and uh, perhaps you, know, so you provide some, some benefits you know, so there, that will you know, sort of hasten the, the movement you know, so down, down that route. So it's, it's a case of I think partnerships is a very, very important you know, sort of um, principle partnerships between governments and uh, and also corporates is very very important to make sure that um, everyone's playing yes the role they need to to be able to achieve the, the desired outcome policy certainty is something that's uh, 
businesses have been talking about for as long as I can remember. Is it just a nice buzzword, a catchphrase to avoid taking responsibility or is there genuinely a need for maybe bipartisan or some 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 sort of certainty? Businesses particularly think about energy who are making multi-decade investments and saying, guys, if you can't tell me what's going to go on, I, I, I can't raise the money, I can't in all good conscience put my money, my shareholders' money to work. How do we How do we get across that one? I'm optimistic on most things, but you know, so we're achieving you know, sort of bipartisan support between you know, sort of both sides of politics. You know, so the thing is one of the harder things to to achieve. In other parts of the world, they do achieve that. You know, so you have grand coalitions in places like Germany, you know, sort of Austria. We've never been able to achieve you know, sort of the true consensus you know, sort of here in Australia. Even it gets down to referendums and you know, sort of the fact that you, know, so you can't get that consensus being applied. The reason why so many referendums have failed in you know, Australia, because you can't get that bipartisan support. But uh, I think we we need to be you know, sort of getting you know, sort of agreement on the small things and be able to work the way through. And um, um, I think it, it is going to be important to be able to deal with the big issues, get you know, sort of everyone on on side, and hopefully you know, so the the jobs summit that we see next uh, next week is just part of those ways that we're seeing the development occur. Mate, I want you to look forward for me now. Our listeners are thinking, Craig James, smart guy, capable guy, been around forever. He knows his stuff. Craig, tell me what's going to happen this time next year. If we get to August, September, October 2023, I think most of the listeners are thinking, Craig, tell me it's going to be all right, or at least tell us the truth if it's not going to be. What what does the economy look like in 12 months' time? Are we through these problems? Are we on the way up? Are we on the way down? Where where does the economy look and feel and, and smell like when we get to August, September 2023? Well, it could be a, quite a remarkable situation that when we get to round about, you know, mid next year, if the oil price is where it is or, you know, sort of perhaps a little bit lower, then we'll, we'll, what we'll be seeing is um, uh, oil having a negative impact in terms of inflation rates. And uh, uh, if that's the case, then uh, the costs for, for, of transport and distribution, yes, have come down. Perhaps there's an alleviation in terms of food, yes, you know, sort of um, cost increases, yes, you know, sort of as well. So uh, we should see, yes, inflation rates coming down. We should see consumers spending, yes, you know, sort of more conservative pace. The unemployment rate may be a little bit uh, higher. We may not see as much tightness in terms of the job market because more migrants have come in to be able to fill some of the the vacancies. We may have an unemployment rate closer to 4%, which um, arguably now... We're probably uh, exceeding uh, sort of full employment, and that's why so many pressures on the job market and upward pressures on wages. So, um, higher interest rates sh- should do the work in slowing the economies down. But it's also the the supply chain issues, you know, sort of coming through the other side as well. So, uh, as as I said right from the beginning, and this is what you know, sort of the central banks would say. Um, that we're not going to have people out of the job force for forever. We are going to see you know, sort of people coming back. We're going to see supply you know, sort of gradually lifting up and supply and demand coming you know, sort of more into to balance. Uh, so by um, this time next year, the, our, our hope is that um, we'll see, uh, if, if we're not seeing actual interest rates going down, that we'll see talk of interest rates going down. And we, we think probably a sort of rate of uh, 2% is a nice little balance in the, the new economy uh, between you know, so the, um, uh, not putting upward pressure on you know, so the economy or uh, inflation or downward pressure, that, that, that fabled <laughs> neutral rate or normal rate. And what about, what about wages, mate? I mean, obviously, you know, the, the RBA wanted wage growth to get here first and they kind of got, got, gazumped, got you know, swept up by the tidal wave of inflation, price inflation. 
are we likely to see continued upward pressure, to use the, the uh, politicians' term, on wages, or does that growth in inflation and the maybe a slight rise in unemployment put paid to that? What, what, what do wages feel like in 12 months' time? Well, the, always the appropriate level of wages is um, uh, prices plus productivity. And provided, yes, we get productivity growth of 1, 1.5% and inflation around about 2.5%, then we should get you know, some wage growth somewhere between 35 and 4 uh, and indeed, this is what the Reserve Bank Governor, you go back a few months, he said, yes, the, the way that we're approaching things, what would be, yes, a nirvana is that we have uh, inflation at 2.5%, we have wage growth around about 3.5%, we have productivity of 1%, we have an unemployment rate probably sitting somewhere around about 35 to, to 4%, we've got good growth in the economy around about 2.3%, 2.4%. That would be yes, the, the, the fabled uh, economy, nirvana, economic nirvana in yes, Australia. So I, I suppose what we need to be progressing for. But um, I think you know, in terms of the way the wages are set in Australia, it's still very much the case that um, employers employees are trying to work out the best outcome for their firm. And... Um, it is now a case of not paying you know, sort of wages just for the sake of paying wage increases. We need to see productivity offsets. We need to people who work harder and smarter and you know, sort of longer, you know, sort of so they can justify you know, so those higher uh, pay packets. Otherwise, if we we don't do that, you know, we go down the bad old world of the 1970s. Then we have wage price spirals, and uh, we're not going to be uh, in a positive position at all. And rates get up having to go higher, I suppose, if we don't, uh, if the ABA can't can't finally crack it. Meet last one. I was going to ask you one more question. I was going to ask you a favourite question. I'm going to go duck one in quickly because it's one thing I'm curious about. You mentioned productivity. It's one thing I was um, loathed or, or didn't didn't uh, didn't ask you, but should have. The the challenge for productivity, mate, is the seems like the biggest X factor for the economy. It's the one that when economists kind of seem to be most reflective, they're kind of saying that's the bit that's missing. We, productivity improvements have gone missing for the last decade, decade and a half. I guess first I'll ask you, is that really true? But secondly, to continue or to find, again, productivity improvement, given we're moving to a service economy where it's just harder to, you can't, you know, adding machines to people when it came to factory work or digging ditches or whatever, you know, you're more efficient with a shovel than a, than a hand. You're more efficient with a digger than a shovel. But if you're a nurse, you, you don't look after four patients or five patients, or whatever the right number is. It's hard to look after seven, then eight, then 12, then 15, or at least so the, so the nurses would tell us. That sort of thing is happening through the services economy. So is productivity missing? And, and more, more importantly, how do we continue to improve productivity moving forward? Well, I think productivity, yes, it goes in ebbs and flows over time and, yes, it reflects, yes, of the changes, particularly in terms of technology. So you have significant um, advancement in things like, you know, some mobile phones and computers and the like, and, yes, you're able to do, you know, some more in a very short space of time. And, uh, indeed, that's what we're seeing over time, you know, sort of just before COVID came through, of course, prices around the world were significantly low and inflation was significantly low because of... Um, the fact that uh, people were buying goods online right the way across the globe, and that was putting, you know, sort of effectively increasing supply in the, in the local market. You had access to, you know, sort of more supply, and that was putting downward, you know, suppression on prices, and that was causing people to actually become more efficient. And I think, yes, you know, so it is those sort, sorts of things where, you know, you, when push comes to shove, then you start to, you know, to go down that route of being, you know, sort of uh, more efficient. So I think we, we will constantly see these things go in ebbs and flows. Governments basically have just got to make sure that they're continuing to um, ease costs, build the infrastructure, make sure that they're smoothing the road 
for for um, the the private sector to be able to uh, come up with the, the productivity improvements. Nice, mate. I like that. All right, let's go to our, our favourite questions, mate. These are the ones that our listeners love to hear answers to. Uh, first one, most of our listeners are obviously big readers, big listeners, big streamers. What's on your reading, watching, streaming list at the moment? What's, uh, what's on your bedside table? What's on the TV? What's on the phone? Uh, well, the Economist magazine is a staple, so you know, so that we get that. You know, so if there's one magazine that you, you basically read, it's, it's the the Economist. Um, uh, I, I suppose I'm doing reading a lot in terms of um, uh, things like Bloomberg and Refinitiv or Reuters, yes, on a regular basis. So I'm basically yes, sort of consuming little bits yes around the mm, place mm, yes mm. over time. I still like my men's health magazine as well. Yes, so I'm keeping up to the reading and yes, sort of trying right. to keep healthy and yes, sort of, <laughs> and yep. the like as well. So, um, and um, I'm a very much a big consumer of news. So whether it's news in yes, sort of, it's all sh- shapes and forms, uh, rather than yes, sort of sit down yes, sort of, and um, have a religious you know, sort of following of one particular thing. In, in one particular thing, I tend to yes, sort of be have a scattergun approach. Hey, you're you're obviously a trend watcher by definition. We talked about a couple already, but what what key trends are you most either fascinated by, interested in? Do you think are most uh, concerning, or, or give us the most opportunity? What are the big trends right now? Well, one of the big trends yes that is happening in terms of um, people yes you know, getting um, going into retirement. Now, I'm a f- still a few years away from that. Yes, you know, so not that far away, but <laughs> still a few years away from it. But I think that's going to be one of the interesting things uh, mm-hmm. that people yes that retire and then they say basically, what do I do now? And mm-hmm. um, there is um, sort of latent potential in terms of older Australians to be able to do you know, sort of more. I don't think the taxation system is really working for them. To be able to say, well, look, you know, sort of, I can go back into the job market, mm-hmm. more flexibly go into the job market and provide, you know, sort of some benefits for some individual for firms and um, the ageing of the population and, you know, so what the health challenges, uh, the mental, you know, challenges, mm-hmm. but things mm-hmm. like, you know, so work-life balance, you know, sort of things as well. And that is going to be important because it's going to be a huge, it's growing already, you know, so it's going to be a, a huge component, you know, sort of economies, the demands as well as the supply response in terms of the, uh, the older people. Uh, climate change is a fascinating area. You know, so there's, no one can come up with a, one particular you know, sort of solution there. But you know, sort of how that one you know, sort of evolves over time. I think, too, that you know, sort of, I suppose you know, what I've said right from the beginning, that I'm glass half full rather than half empty. Mm-hmm. And you know, so I think that's borne out by the fact that you have a COVID virus and you have a vaccine developed in 12 months and it shows what humans can do when yes the backs are against the wall and we have to sort of deal with each other and work with each other to be able to find a solution i think the same will occur in terms of climate change that we will start dealing with the issues that we probably should have dealt with you know so 15 or 20 years ago Mm. i like that like that very much mate it's a uh, it's a reminder to i think look at the positives that come out of covid not say the experience was a positive we'd rather have not have it but as you say some of those things about our ability to respond to it probably hopefully in time we'll maybe reflect on that a little more as we're past the the, the pandemic stage maybe into an endemic uh, circumstance but certainly there's some great great positives and, and improvements to come out of that uh, mate you've been in the economics game for a little while what advice would you give someone who was maybe going into university or coming out of university interested in a job as an economist perhaps or or, or in economics more broadly what advice would you give them uh, enjoy your work Enjoy what you you have to do. You know, sort of make sure you enjoy. If you're not enjoying where you are, well, basically, you know, sort of look look for opportunities elsewhere. And of course, there's a big change over the last forty odd you know sort of years. Um, 
what we've had, you know, sort of you go back 40 years ago, if you worked in, you know, sort of institution for two years and then moved to institution, you would have been considered a flight risk. <laughs> now, <laughs> yeah, if, if you work for two years in an institution, you know, sort of most people look at you and say, why, why haven't you left? Why haven't you gone somewhere else? So um, I think that's yeah. the thing too, you know, sort of life is too short, you know, sort of to... Um, to say, say what 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 if you know sort of you got to go out there and embrace the opportunities which are there. Beautiful. And my, my last question is going to be a hard one for you because I normally finish with by saying I'm an optimist. I think you're optimistic too. What are you optimistic about? You've given us plenty of that right through this podcast episode. But maybe you can drag one particular thing or a summary or something out for me and tell me, Craig James, what are you optimistic about? Well, I'm optimistic about climate change. I'm optimistic about, you know, the ability of humans to be able to respond to it, you know, sort of come up with uh, solutions. And uh, as to what it turns out to be the end solutions in the next five or ten years, we don't know. But uh, we do know that we're all working on it, you know, sort of, and at least the mindset is right, right the way across the globe, you know, sort of on solutions rather than on the problems. Beautiful. That's a wonderful way to finish. Craig James, Chief Economist of Comsec. Thank you for joining us for The Good Oil. Thank you. This podcast is hosted by me, Scott Phillips, produced by Ed Gooden and imaged by Link Kelly. Listener.